We're going to open our Bibles now to Mark chapter 6. Uh, We're picking back up where we left off late December, Mark chapter 6 at verse 45. Uh, And Christine is going to be reading uh, those verses for us this morning. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genezareth and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. So far our reading. Thank you, Christine. Uh, Even though it is a a familiar story, please keep your Bibles open. Um, There's some really interesting and important details that we need to pick out together this morning. Uh, And if you can follow along... That will help you as we do that. Uh, A couple of years ago we were camping uh, at Coles Bay and whilst camping we had a very memorable uh, encounter there. Uh, It was a late morning. Um, It was one of those really warm, uh, overcast summer's days that you you sometimes get. You know, we sometimes get a warm day in summer in Tasmania. Uh, But it was one of those warm, really still days and you know, there was, you could hear this thunderstorm off in the distance just quietly rumbling away. Uh, The kids wanted to go for a fish so well what the kids want we do. We went for a fish, we jumped in the boat and drove a couple of minutes up the beach uh, to find our spot and we fished. And as we fished uh, we watched as this this thunderstorm, this great dark mass of clouds just just slowly started creeping closer. Uh, Still dead calm, you know, the water was oily but this thunderstorm was inching its way towards us and the the rumblings were gradually getting louder and louder. Now that was great, like I love thunderstorms so I was, you know, hardly fishing, I was just watching this thunderstorm. The kids, uh, Melinda, they're not so keen on them so they were kind of watching a bit nervous. Uh, But we, we, you know, we were safe enough, we were happy enough, fishing away, not catching anything but, but fishing at least. And that is until all of a sudden, out of nowhere, flash and boom, right on top of us. (laughs) You know, when it comes at the same time, you know that that's not a good moment. Right on top of us. Uh, You know, 
Amira, I reckon she almost leapt out of the boat. She just levitated off the seat. Uh, there were tears, there were screams. Uh, it was quite fantastic. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, but at that point, uh, even I had to admit, that was probably too close. After all, we're in the middle of the water, very flat water, in a metal boat, uh, and I'm waving around a carbon rod which looks disturbingly like a lightning conductor. Um, not a good time, not a good place. So we bolted. Uh, we bolted back to the, the, the relative safety of the tent. Uh, it turns out that thunderstorms are great. Thunderstorms are great from a distance. Uh, thunderstorms are wonderful when you're inside. But thunderstorms are terrifying. Do you want me to go to the other one? Yeah, it sounded like that. <laughs> but thunderstorms are terrifying uh, when they're up close, when you're in them, in fact. And that's a lesson that our disciples learn in the passage we read today. Some things are great at a distance, but they are very scary when they're close. We see the disciples in our passage today getting a, a, a terrible fright, less at what they saw, more at what it meant. We're going to unpack that today. They were terrified because something, someone in fact, had come close, had come very close to them. And it is terrifying when we, we see what this story teaches, when we see what it's implying to us. It is scary stuff. But as we're going to see, it's also good. And we'll see that as we unpack this story to get today. Um, when, we, when we started, I don't know if you noticed when, when Christine started reading, it sounds quite abrupt, doesn't it? Um, all of a sudden, immediately, we're, we're doing stuff again. And that's because this story does link quite closely to the, the one that comes before it, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, if you can remember all the way back to December, uh, you remember what we saw there, that this incredible sign that happened. This huge crowd, 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children, five small loaves, two small fish, and Jesus feeds everyone. Not just you know a mouthful of food, there's 12 basketfuls left over. And you'd think, what a time to capitalise on, on this incredible sign. You know, Jesus should be taking this time to, to say, well, look, can't you see who I am? Let, let's make some ground on this. But instead, very abruptly, Jesus just winds it all up. Uh, disciples, get in the boat, you're going that way. Crowd, you're going that way. I'm going up there to pray. That's it. We're done. And everyone goes. But as usual, when the disciples seem to get themselves on their own, they get into trouble. Look at verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. The disciples have been rowing now for some time. They've been struggling. They're not really told that they're in danger. They just simply can't make any headway in crossing the lake. They can't get anywhere. And so after doing this for hours, 
Jesus comes out to them. It's the fourth watch of the night. That's sometime between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. So it's early morning. There's probably a hint of light in the sky. And Jesus goes out to his disciples a couple of miles out into the lake. And he simply walks out there. And when the disciples see him, they freak, as you'd understand. Like if you're out in the boat a few k's out of sea and someone walks to you, you're probably going to, you're going to look at least. But they're not just scared because of what they've seen, the amazing thing that seems to be happening before them. They're scared because of the amazing things that it's telling them about Jesus, the one walking towards them. There's three things that this is telling them. First of all, the Bible only knows one person who can walk on water. Uh, It's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament and that person is God. Uh, For example, Job chapter 9 verse 8. He alone stretches out the heavens, that is God, and treads on the waves of the sea. See, what Jesus is doing here is taking something that only God can do and doing it before the disciples. Secondly, Jesus actually takes God's name here. It's, it's kind of a bit subtle, but you see it there in what he says. He says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And that it is I is literally, I am. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you'll know the significance of that. I am is the name that God revealed himself by, this, this great and mysterious name that he gave to his people. He said, that's me, I am, that's my name. Jesus has taken what only God can do. Jesus has taken the name that is God's alone. And thirdly, Jesus intends to pass by them. It, it's, it's a bit of a weird detail. Um, and that the NIV uh, maybe obscures it a little bit. The ESV has it a little bit differently. Uh, at the end of verse 48 there, there's, there, it says instead, he meant to pass them by. Now, on the face of that, that that sounds even weirder, doesn't it? I mean, after all, he sees the disciples struggling, he sees their hardship, he walks out onto the lake, presumably to help them, but what does he do when he gets it? Does he kind of just veer off and say, no, I'm just passing you by, see you later, guys, I'll see you on the other... Why? It seems so strange. Well, it's not an accident. It's there very deliberately. Uh, And again, we have to go back to the Old Testament to work out why. In fact, we have to go all the way back to the second book of the Bible, to Exodus, in chapter 33. Uh, Moses is there uh, the, as the leader of God's people on Mount Sinai. He's, he's hearing from God, uh, all God's will for his people. Uh, he's, he's sitting there for, for days and God is talking to him. And at the end of it, Moses says, but God, I'd love to see you. I'd love to see your glory. And God agrees and says, yes, okay. And this is what we read. God says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And that's what God does. And in the very next chapter we read, and he passed in front of Moses. And it's not an isolated event. It happens again to another leader of God's people, the prophet Elijah. Uh, In 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, Elijah also is on a mountain meeting with God and this is what we read. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So it's not an accident that this is recorded here. What we're being told here is something very significant. This idea of passing by is 
the way that God appears to his people. But not just appears, it's the way he comes to them in all his glory and all his majesty and all his power. It is the fullness of his presence brought before his people. And if you read those occasions, you see it's remarkable and it's terrifying. You know, the mountains shake and the great wind blows and all sorts of incredible things happen. It's a terrifying event. And Jesus is claiming it. He's saying, that's who I am. That's what's happening here. Uh, The last time the disciples were in a boat, a couple of chapters before, they they cried out at the end, who is this man? And now in a boat again they get their answer. Who is he? He is the glorious and majestic and awesome God in flesh right before them. I mean, no wonder they're terrified. What what a thing to see. Uh, What he's done is not scary, but what he's saying is, It means God is here in all his power, all his glory and all his might and he's in the boat with them. Not a big boat, he's just there. It's terrifying. I mean, maybe think of it like this. You know, we like lions. Lions are nice when you go to the zoo and you see them in their enclosure. That's good. But we don't like lions if they're in it. I mean, this is never going to happen in Tasmania. We don't like lions in our lounge room. I don't know, does that happen in Africa? Probably not. It's more plausible. That's not nice, is it? And that's what the disciples are experiencing. God at a distance, yes. That's okay. God close by. That's terrifying. Uh, Mark's been showing us over and over again just how special Jesus is. We've seen it. All these amazing things he's done. But now we're seeing finally just how special Jesus is. He's not just a miracle worker with some good tricks. Uh, He's so much more than a gifted teacher with some really nice words. He is God himself in all his glory, all his power, all his majesty. And he's come close. He's here. The disciples are freaked out. And they, they actually don't seem to get it, do they? at least at this time. Look at verse 51 and 52. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They've seen incredible things. That They've seen signs that should point them directly to who Jesus is and all that that means. But their hearts are hardened. And once again... The moment slips by. But we're not the disciples and and time is not moving on for us in the same way as it is for them. That, That chance for this to just slip past isn't given to us. This story is here to confront us. It's here to challenge us and to ask us how are we going to react to this picture of who Jesus is. What are we going to do with this knowledge that Jesus is the awesome and powerful God in all his glory? Come close to us. I mean, I think we can agree the only, the only thing you can't do with that news is, is nothing. I mean, if, if Jesus is God in all his glory, if Jesus is God drawn near to us, that's not something we can ignore, is it? Any more than you could ignore a lion in your lounge room. 
Now I know that many of you here do believe that. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful that you believe exactly this, that Jesus is who he claims to be. But I still wonder, I still wonder if we, if I, really get it. Because if we will believe, if we claim to follow this Jesus, the one who is the King of Heaven, the one who is almighty, powerful, glorious God, that's not something we can take lightly, is it? You can't do that half-heartedly. It's not something to do just when it suits you or when it's convenient. This, this kind of king is all or nothing, isn't he? And that's a challenge for us. I mean, we're by nature non-committal people, aren't we? Maybe worse than ever in history. You know, we're, we're subject to a better offer. We actually say that as if it was a virtue. Um, I don't know if you've noticed on Facebook now, you just actually click interested in events. Not, not that I'm going, I don't want to commit to something, I you know, make a promise or anything, I'm just interested. It, it's who we are, isn't it? We don't like committing to things. What happens if something else came along? But that doesn't work with Jesus. It doesn't work with someone who's the king of all kings, who is God in all glory. We can't just say, yeah, maybe for now, but, but not until, not if something else comes along. Are we recognising Jesus for who he is, for, for God in the flesh? And what's more, are we giving him then his rightful place in our lives? Which is over all of our life. Because if he is who he says he is, if he is who the Bible says he is, then he is king over every corner of our life. Every corner over your life. He is the one who rules your plans for the future. He's the one who, who rules how you divide your time. He's the one who rules how you use your money or your words or your thoughts or your recreation and spare time. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to give it all to him and every cent and every hour goes directly to him. But what it does mean at the very least is we ought to bring it all to him and ask his will and offer it to him and ask what is right in his eyes. Is that you? I have to ask myself, is that me? Or are there areas or times or things that we prefer to hold back? He is the king of glory. He is the king who is close. He is the good and gracious king and he is near. And that's hard because it means we're asked to then conform our lives to him. If he's come close, we can't just keep going on our own way. Um, think of it like this. You know, say by some miraculous chance you get invited to go and live in Buckingham Palace. Uh, when you arrive there, you're not going to live as you please, are you? You're not going to say, you know, I don't actually like small dogs. The corgis have to stay out. Uh, you're not going to say, your English food is bland and boring, I'm going to bring in you know, nice food. And you're not going to say, your sense you know, of, of decor is awful. I mean, what's with all this old school stuff? Let's update the place. You're not going to do that, are you? No, instead, you're going to move in there and think, this place is different. I'm going to have to change. 
I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to get used to those yappy dogs. I'm going to have to get used to boring food and weird decor. I'm going to have to change. Why? Because you're you and the Queen is the Queen. And you know where you stand in that pecking order. How much more with God? When he comes close, who needs to change? I mean, really, do, do we think if we invite Jesus, you know, the King of kings, the, the Lord of all glory, into our life and say, I'm going to follow you, do we really think that we can keep on going as we were? That nothing will change? Of course not. If you invite him in, if you profess to follow, then things about you and things in your life will change as he wills because your life is his and you are his as well. But as scary and as daunting as that sounds, it is still a good thing. And we see that as the story progresses. Uh, finally, the disciples arrive on land, their, their never-ending boat journey finishes and they get to roughly their destination. Uh, look at verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret uh, and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Uh, it's, it's a really vivid scene, isn't it? It's put before us. You can, you can just picture it. You, you know when you, you know, poke an ant's nest? You've all done it, I'm sure. You, you poke the ant, it just is a hive of activity. That's the picture here, isn't it? You know, Jesus steps into town and there's people running all over the place, literally running, we're told. You know, they're going and they're grabbing the sick and they're bringing them to Jesus as fast as they can. He's here. Come, he might heal you. There's crowding and there's pushing and they're frantic. And what does this almighty, glorious king of heaven do? Does he say, get out of my way, run, run along, you riffraff? No, he heals them. He shows compassion. Uh, the word heal there is again literally saves. See, what's the great news that, that we're being shown here? It's that God in Jesus has come terrifyingly close. But not to condemn us, but to show compassion and to save it's, uh, it's how John, uh, one of Jesus' other disciples, puts it in his account of Jesus' life. This is what he writes. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is scary to have the glorious, uh, awesome Jesus close to us, even in the boat. Uh, we know, you know, if you play with fire, you might get burnt. But it's good too. It's good to have him close. I mean, after all, would you really want him to be less than that? Would you really want Jesus to be less threatening or less uh, godlike, smaller, more human, maybe more of a teacher or more of a miracle worker? I mean, sure, on one hand, 
It would be easier, undoubtedly. Far easier to live with him. But the biggest problem is he wouldn't be what we need. Because what we need is help. And we need a helper who's, who's bigger. In fact, far bigger to be able to help us. I mean, that's, that's why you don't come to me when your car breaks down. Um, like, I know a bit about cars. I, I know how they work. I know they usually have four wheels um, and a few other things as well. Uh, and given enough time, I could probably figure out what is wrong with your car if it broke. I probably couldn't fix it, but I could at least tell you what's wrong. But, but you don't come to me, do you? Because you know all of that yourself. Uh, you can probably figure at least that much out. You go to someone who's got a lot more experience, uh, who knows a lot more. You, you go to your mechanic. You go to, to an expert who knows far more than both of us put together because you know they can help you because they're far better at that sort of stuff than you or I. See, we don't want help. We can't get help from, from someone who's just like us, can we? That, that's no use to us not even someone who's just slightly better than us, that's not enough. What we need is someone who's far better than us, who's far bigger than us, who is just far above us in general. And that, that is why this picture is such good news. This picture of big and glorious and and somewhat scary Jesus, that's good for us. Because he is big, he's the biggest, he's the goodest, he's the strongest. And best of all, he's willing. Willing to help, willing to save. And that's good news because when we come close to him, we realise just how much we need him and just how much we need saving. You know, it's, it's, it's like when you're building something, at least when I'm building something, you line everything up and it, it looks plumb, it looks roughly square until you get the level or the square and bring it close. And the closer it gets to that level, the more wonky you realise it is, the more crooked and out of whack. And so it is with Jesus. The closer we come to him, the more crooked and out of whack we realise we are and how much we need help. Because he's holy. He's perfect. He's good. He is God almighty and glorious in flesh. And we are so human. Broken, hurt, hurting others, scarred, trapped. And it's not just you know, the obvious bad, bad things that we do. Uh, even the very most moral or upright person you could ever imagine, even them, as they draw close to God, will realise and, and have to admit that they too haven't lived for him as he deserves. Maybe they've done lots of good things, but they've still not acknowledged him as king. They've still ignored him and turned their back on him. When he comes close, when he is near, it's scary. <coughs> Because we see ourselves too clearly. But it's also good. Because we also see in him one who's willing. One who is glad. One who helps those who admit their need of him. Here's how Peter, one of his disciples, puts it in his letter. He writes, He himself, talking about Jesus, 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Simply by trusting, simply by believing him, who he is, all that he's done, all of that is yours. All of your wrong and crookedness and sin, as the Bible calls it, is put on him. And it's taken to the conclusion that's right for it. It's taken to the cross to die. So that your sin, your penalty would be taken. So that you could live healed, saved, made right forever. And all of that at no cost to you. I mean, you know, our government will give you a new start as long as you fill the criteria and apply for enough jobs. But Jesus gives you life, free of charge, no strings attached. And with that, in, in receiving that, then our, our fear of Jesus in all his glory, our fear of him is changed, isn't it? You know, we're no longer fearing getting burnt or bitten or, or rejected by him, getting pushed away. Now instead, because all of our offences are taken, all the things that rightly give us that fear, because they're gone, we, we come to him with joy now. Because we're not coming close to someone who's simply terrifying, we're coming close to someone who's terrifying but has saved us. Someone who loves us, someone who's given us life. Yes, there is still fear in that, but it's now the right sort of fear. It's not terror, it's awe, it's wonder. Because we're coming close to a glorious king who loves us and who gave himself for us. And that fear motivates us to love him back, to give our lives to him, to follow him. After all, he's saved our life. What more good might he have in store for us? Uh, In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, the the four children, the main characters, uh, they're told of this mysterious character, this this thing, person, Aslan. And they want to learn more about him, but as they do, they're told Aslan isn't a man as they thought he was. Aslan is a lion. And this is how it goes. Susan says, "Is is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is Jesus safe? If you read the accounts of his story, I don't know if you could say he is. But he is the king. And he is good. And he's come not to condemn, but to save. And so we're called to trust him, to follow him, even though it might be risky and hard and dangerous, to obey him and to love him and live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus that he's come into this world fully man and fully God in all power, all glory, all majesty. We give you thanks that he's come not to condemn, 
but to use all his power to heal and save even needy wretches like us. Father, we're so thankful for his love and compassion that heals, that makes us right with you and gives us life. Father, we confess we we still try to live our own way. We still want to keep control over our lives as if we ruled ourselves. And so we ask for your help. Help us to, to live for him who gave his life for us. Help us to be glad to give control to Jesus and to put him above all other things. Help us in this because we need your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.